It was a combination of all of them. They started okay. implementing a system about eight years ago. Yeah. And the company grew, the system grew. So there was a lot of code on top of code on top of code that not yeah. a lot of people could have understood, which took any sort of new feature or upgrade six months plus to do even the super simple thing. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. What comes to mind when you think of the most complex business from the viewpoint of business processes? I can almost guarantee that it will not be a poultry business. How hard could the poultry business be to run? Shouldn't it be as simple as raising a bunch of chickens, feeding them corn, and selling eggs and chicken parts? Well, running a poultry business requires tight control of yield and financial processes. There is always a push for higher productivity and yield because of the cost pressures. In today's episode, we have our guest Gabriel Anescu, who discusses the nuances of the agriculture and poultry business, and how the manufacturing processes are different from other industries. He also discusses the challenges associated with maintaining in-house ERP solutions and their implications on the business. Finally, he discusses how custom platforms and inflexible solutions might result in organizations switching to asynchronous planning, ad hoc process solutions maintained on error-prone spreadsheets. Let me introduce Gabriel to you. Gabriel is a serial CTO with 10 plus years of experience as a software engineer, he has managed ERP implementations of more than $5 million. He holds five patents in energy saving. Currently, he is the CEO at Neologics.com. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello. Hey, Gabriel. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sam. Hi. Great to be here. Okay, amazing. And I'm super excited to have you as well, just because you are working on some of the cutting edge stuff, especially around production planning and the experiment design, which is going to be so exciting for our listeners. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Gabriel? Yeah, sure. So I'll just go for a quick story. So my my name is Gabriel Paunescu. I've been an entrepreneur since as long as I can remember. I started my first company at 18. I was always a, the, a technical guy and a software engineer. And since then, I've been part of five companies in three different countries, built quite a lot of, implemented quite a lot of ERPs, suffered quite a lot because of other ERPs, and patented the technologies for energy saving in the hot water and gas industry. Okay, very interesting background. And obviously, the merge of the software development and the ERP is always going to be exciting because a majority of the ERP implementation is going to require some sort of custom development. So obviously, understanding the challenges and the boundaries is going to be super helpful for our, our audience. Uh, now, we have one of the standard questions that we ask every single guest, Gabriel, and that is going to be your perspective on 
business growth. When you think of word business growth, what does it mean to you? Business growth to me, it means a constant flow of experiments. The more experiments, the higher the chances. Uh, business grow because of luck. I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't seen that in action, or at least it didn't happen to me. Uh, but hard work and experiments always pay off. And also, to, to, um, especially when it comes to software, to somehow get past the, 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 these barriers that keep us from changing software providers or like upgrading our software. It's very hard to understand how much money you're actually losing with a legacy solution until you see the new one. So my, my, I think between 2020 and 2030, uh, having a software solution that doesn't adapt to what you're doing instead of the other way around, I think is gonna be like owning a horse today. Yeah, it's a very interesting perspective and always the challenge for the finance community is going to be, and Gabriel, just for fun, we are going to have a little bit of conflict because my CFOs and the finance community, they don't really appreciate experiments. Okay, they don't have, <laughs> I am in money for experiments and you are the engineer guy and you are asking us to be able to do the experiment which is okay as long as we are making some sort of calculated decisions here. So we need to understand how we will be able to make these calculated decisions. But when you go from, let's say, point A to point B, especially when you are talking about these enterprise software implementations, they could be mm -hmm. life-threatening. And when I say life-threatening, I am talking about companies' life. <laughs> okay. Yes. For a lot of companies, they could be, they could have very detrimental results. So obviously we need to be extremely cautious, careful when we are going to undertake these engagements. So now let's talk about the story. I know that you had one of these stories where you have done some of the work in the experimentation design in the manufacturing floor. And you had some, I don't know whether you had improvements related to operational efficiency. So do you want to talk in detail? What was the customer situation? What was the manufacturing yeah. situation? What, what kind of products they were building and the challenges yeah. they had? So um, they, were, they were in agriculture. So okay. this was a customer that was active in 12 different countries. We're talking about almost half a billion in revenue. Okay. So there's a series of bad events that happened to them, uh, okay. all because, because management did not have a complete overview of the supply chain. Decisions okay. were taken way too late. So what happened? They had production cycles uh, within the poultry industry, right? Okay. Now, those are very time sensitive, obviously. When the production happens, it has to go out instantly. It has to be uh, sold very fast. It has to be transported very fast. It has to hit the supermarket shelves very fast, or otherwise yeah. Yeah. it's going to sell for a different price or no price at all. Now, the problem was being a very large company, they were not realizing that some of the salespeople were forgetting to update their quotas. Therefore, production was going at different dates in the stores, which meant it could not be sold as fresh. Long story short, they lost 15 million just because they could not see on one dashboard where the production was every single day. So they could track it and just pick up the phone and say, hey, you need to move faster. So this is, this is a very clear example of a legacy system that does its job. Even to this day, it still does its job. But it did not help management understand fast yeah. enough that there was a danger in the supply chain post-production and with, with store delivery. 48 hours delay meant that the, chick the chicken had to be 75% cheaper 
on shelf because of regulation and other stuff yeah so that's why the that's why the reason for the change that's why they opted for a new system and that's how we arrived over there interesting very interesting scenario there and i think this could be the example of the agriculture or the poultry in my experience i exactly. think this is going to be more of the food manufacturing scenario exactly uh, but this is probably going to be similar case in a lot of different industries so when i look at the industrial manufacturing space and even non-industrial manufacturing, right? I mean, even though they might have a legacy system, but their production scheduling is going to be really weak overall in terms of transparency into the shop floor. And I don't know if the timeline is going to be so strict, but because of the competition, obviously losing two days is a big deal overall in any of the businesses or in the manufacturing situation. So I want you to go one level deeper here. Let's say what was the kind of system they were using. I know they were slightly more complex overall from the entity perspective, but why did they not have this visibility from their legacy system? Was it not implemented correctly? Did it not have capability? What was the core reason or was the problem related to their process itself that their process was not mapped? So it was a combination of all of them. They started implementing a system about eight years ago. Yeah, And the company grew, the system grew. So there was a lot of code on top of code on top of code that not yeah. a lot of people could have understood, which took any sort of new feature or upgrade six months plus to do even the super simple things. Yeah. Combined with the fact that they acquired a few other companies, which meant that you have to find a culture fit, and then there's a process fit, and then there's process planning, and then there's you have to look across the board in their departments, and you can't really just change everything just because you've acquired a company. So they had to basically massage the processes, but never actually got around to documenting them A to Z. Why? Because they were in constant growth. And the software was not able to keep up anymore. And the software teams, they were already getting expensive, but that wasn't really the issue. The the issue was the time to feature and the time to experiment was way too high. So at one point, some of the functions reverted back to Excel because it's much faster, especially on the CFO side. They reverted back to Excel. They did more... Um, they did more asynchronous planning between a couple of people, which the planning phase went faster and the results were more accurate because they created their own formulas and they did their own their own structure. But this means that everybody else in the organization lost instant visibility because that doesn't go anywhere, right? And even if they watch those Excel files, they wouldn't understand what's what's happening there. So these were the combinations of factors and the leading factor was they had an explosive growth in the market uh, that they needed to keep up. And if you don't build your architecture from the early days for yeah. flexibility, it's very hard to do it later. Yeah. So interesting perspective there. So one of the terms that you mentioned is the asynchronous planning. And I don't know how yeah. many of the listeners are going to be familiar with this term. So describe to and maybe take an example, what would be the difference between asynchronous planning and if you have a synchronous planning, describe that as well. So it would be basically executive operations versus operational in the field. So when you have a single system where you're inputting the production quotas, let's say, right? At the same time, anybody else from the operations, head of line of business or business managers 
can just look at that same data, visualize it, and understand in real time. So if there's an error, if they have something else to contribute, if they have some other ideas, or maybe there's something on the roadmap that got lost, they can just call you up, send an email, you can just talk about it, and it's done. When it's asynchronous, a small part of the team, usually around the executive team from finance, yeah. They do all the planning end-to-end. -end. This happens once a year. They use as data the results from last year, which might still not be accurate because you got the, the financial data for sure is accurate because it's just the invoices. But when it comes to production, the output, all, all the sensor data and everything, that might not be very accurate. So they're using what could be a bad data set to make the predictions for what they should be spending next year and everybody that's in the operational side of things, and especially the line of business uh, owners from the field, they receive what they need to do. They're not consulted and they cannot provide input. And if they provide input post-planning, it's too late. You can't just roll back an entire plan that took a month to make and includes 12 countries, right? So that would be the difference between synchronous and asynchronous. Uh, when it's synchronous, everybody can see the data and everybody's exposed to the data. Therefore, they can contribute in their own capacity. And asynchronous is just the operational side receiving what they're supposed to do from executives and just doing their best to achieve those goals. Obviously, that's going to be a, a big problem. And I am going to rebrand this. In my experience, I think this is how the majority of the manufacturing organizations operate, where the IT or finance is going to be responsible for the data gathering. It's very rare to find an organization where they might have the ERP system, but it is really used by everybody in the organization, just because they might not have the skill set, just because they might be culturally that way. So what they are going to do is my sales guy is actually going to ask the IT guy, hey, you know what, I need to do my territory plan. Hey, you go and get me a data so that I can do my planning. So I think that's going to be the most common scenario. So the majority of the planning scenario are probably going to be synchronous, whether we are talking about sales planning, operations planning, yep. or the finance planning. Yep, so, exactly. Uh, obviously, I have some sense of the story related to the supply chain problem. You had 12 countries. They were growing fast. But let's go one level deeper into the story related to the business model so that we are really close to understanding the problem. So right now, I sort of know that there was some sort of you know supply chain problem. They didn't have visibility in the data. But walk me through their entire business model from the people, process, and technology perspective. How many entities did they have? How did they collaborate across the entities? Did this problem, that problem that you are describing, was this problem there only in one specific site or across the sites? Was there only one site that was doing the production? So can you describe the, the entire business model, I would say, also the, the production flow? Yeah. So there were about 18 entities. The production happened under the same group. The production happened in six different places. Okay. Uh, there, were, there were two types of production facilities. The sales capacity was all internal. Production capacity was on contract third-party vendor and internal. And all the collaboration mostly happened over email and some of it over uh, input data in the existing in the existing ERP. So that was kind of that was kind of the structure. Collaboration was just simply heads of departments talking to each other, planning once a year, plans get executed and then report back quarterly depending on results. Plus 
some um, they were also trying to connect a lot of sensor data. So they had a lot of IoT in the production facilities, and they were trying to connect that data, connect that data to the to the production planning to try to figure out and predict uh, predict problems faster. Okay, so I'm actually still trying to figure out the relationship between these uh, entities. So the the entity that you are describing was the problem that you identified. Was it in a specific site that you guys got engaged with? Uh, how did their supply chain work? I mean, see, were they planning across the sites in these 18 entities? Were they yes. international, national? <laughs> can, can, yeah. can you provide some more details? Yeah, so uh, it was international. It was a total of 12 countries, 18 legal legal entities, just to, okay. just to clarify. Four of them did production and the rest was distribution of goods. So they, they were the, the producer of raw materials. They were yeah. the producer, they were the manufacturer and they were the distributor. So they owned the entire supply chain end to end. And all these entities worked together basically like separate separate companies but they were under the same group and under the same management that's how they operate uh, one of them was uh, producing the raw materials needed to uh, needed to grow the animals yeah. another one was growing from zero days to uh, 30 and 60 days and another one was another set of entities was for packaging and another set of entities was for distribution and sales and all these, they work together to form like a single a single supply chain. Interesting. And are we talking about US-based business? Are we talking about somewhere else? Yeah, US-based. US-based? Okay, yeah. okay. Interesting, interesting. And from the system perspective, are they on, let's say, one financial system, multiple financial system? How were they integrated overall from the system perspective? Multiple financial systems, they tried to do something with SAP to consolidate everything, uh, but the implementation cost and the cost of change was way too high, was yeah. ridiculously high, so they dropped it. And then they went they went with a custom solution. They basically just have one big accounting department that connects with multiple uh, accounting providers, external accounting providers for their facilities in Europe, and that's how they do It's still paper-based. Interesting. So the financial solution that they have in-house is really the custom base and that is actually trying to serve these 12 to 18 entities exactly yes interesting very interesting so now let's go back to your production planning so the the custom solution that we are describing here did it have did it have any sort of manufacturing capabilities or did it not have any manufacturing capabilities how did the communication work between the solution that you incorporated versus what they already had in place yeah so we managed to integrate a few of the IoT systems. Luckily, they bought from big vendors and impl- implementation was very friendly on our side. So that was pretty good. On the manufacturing side and on the planning side, this specific raw material and planned batches that they had, we were lucky because it wasn't that complicated for our system. So our system was flexible enough to incorporate their their production the the production side the grow the growery or growth side and also the supply chain and distribution so uh, we proposed an end to end solution we are now 75% into the implementation and we plan to integrate all the other iot systems which is four of them uh, because they have also an entity that has lights out production so like no human intervention so that's going to be a lot of fun Interesting, very interesting. So when you started this engagement, I mean, uh, did you have any sort of learnings 
I don't know if you, when you visited them for the first time, did you get everything that you needed to be able to start your engagement? So, so describe the journey that you had taken from, let's say, day one when you walked in there. I don't know what you were expecting yeah. to see in the engagement. So describe to me how the interaction was with the team, what the kind of you know challenges that they described were, did they change over the period of time when you started learning more of the organization? Did they have different stories when you talk to, let's say, I don't know who was your primary contact point, CFO or VP of supply chain, but when you talk to supply chain, did you have any inconsistent stories that were coming from different departments? So can you talk about the journey there? Yeah, there was quite a quite a bit of inconsistency. So we were lucky because the founders and majority sh- uh, shareholders are big fans of new technology. So they okay. use a lot of very modern technology. They spent a lot of money upgrading their, their warehouse, warehousing and production capacity. So when we came with a new type of ERP, they were very open to, to listening. Recovering the necessary data to do the implementation, that's another story. So we had to yeah. go department through department. Some of them didn't have it. Some of them did not want to admit that they have it. So it just took a really long time to get the, the necessary documents together, but we had the support of the C-suite team. So that made it that made it a lot easier. What also made it easier is that they had they had really good Excel files. So they had really, really well-organized formulas, uh, which were documented separately, because what we did is we basically transformed Excel files into actual systems, right? And that was that helped a lot because you see the input, you see the output, you see the formulas, and then you can standardize. You can standardize across each department uh, what exactly is that they're doing. There was quite a bit to understand about how the industry works, especially because there was no clear process map. We were we were not handed a process map. We had to do interviews, find the process map. But once we did, we actually realized that it makes a lot of sense, like uh, how they organize their business makes a lot of sense. And that's why they're that's why they're very successful. So, yeah. So when you talk about these formulas and the spreadsheet, obviously, that's going to be a very common situation in a lot of yeah. different manufacturing scenarios. The whole planning is probably being done in the spreadsheet. So when yeah. you are looking at these formulas, what kind of formulas are we talking about here? Are they trying to drive any sort of KPI? So give give us an example of a formula that you found super insightful or the compelling that it's almost like an innovation when it can be yeah. done in the spreadsheet. <laughs> so yeah. talk about some of the examples of those formulas and the spreadsheet that you have seen. Yeah. So there's very special and highly detailed formulas on yeah. what yeah. you should feed a chicken. Okay. And okay. we're talking about 60 plus parameters. We're talking about adjusting adjusting to the period of the year. So it's it was like I thought a chicken just eats, you know, what what whatever chicken eats. Just no, corn. no, no. <laughs> exactly. See? So I thought it was like something simple, you know? No, yeah. it's not. We're talking about 60 plus 60 plus raw materials from about 300 different vendors that yeah. all have specific percentages depending on lots of factors, including previous production cycle, including forecast of uh, weather patterns and uh, what time of the year is it and stuff like that. And this is all proprietary information that they they had to go through years and years of experimenting to find out exactly how to maximize output and like on these fine grain systems. That was that was to me by far the most fascinating. 
Interesting, very interesting. So, you know, this is definitely going to be very insightful for a lot of listeners. I don't know how many people knew how the poultry industry really works and if they are going to have such complicated formulas there to be able to produce a raw material that is going to be that we are going to feed to poultry, right? Or chicken. So in this particular case, what was the production process? I'm still not sure if I understand the production process. So is the production process to be able to deliver, you know, whatever the chicken is going to eat or the production process is to produce the meat from the chicken or to produce the chicken itself? Uh, All of them. So they start with production of the raw material, what a chicken is going to eat. Yeah. Uh, Then you have eggs hatching. Then after hatching is growth. Then after growth is packing, and after packing is distribution. So they have the entire supply chain end-to-end from grain to actual shelf. Interesting. So when you are looking at the inventory, what are some of the finished goods? What do they call finished goods? So the chicken feed that we are making, are we selling that as well? Or are chicken simply eating that? And that is is simply the whip from the finance perspective. Exactly. So that's um, that's just what the chicken eat. The, f- the final products are the chicken parts, as you see them in the supermarket, and they don't sell live chicken. So it's just the chicken parts that you see them in different supermarkets. Interesting. Very interesting. So the finished product is going to be chicken parts, is what you said? Yes, exactly. Interesting. And uh, the chicken itself is not going to be the finished good because they don't sell that. So yep. who is doing the butchering? Are they supplying these chicken to the to the butcher? In house, no, in house. Okay, so it's so all have... it's all part of the group. Yeah. Okay. What other complications have you seen in the industry with respect to? I'm pretty sure you have a lot of different challenges overall because I have seen this in case of other meat shops as well that they are going to have many different cuts and because of that the inventory overall is going to be very complex because of the kind of the meat packaging configuration that you are probably going to be needing. And I don't know how they do the supply chain planning because here you are going to get a lot of waste. And I don't know if that waste also they are able to sell because the only thing they are able to sell there is going to be the chicken parts, right? But the other things are probably going to be either the wasted meat. So are they selling that as well? But that typically drives a lot of different inventory and supply chain complexities. So have you seen anything around that by any chance in the industry? Yes. So the waste is actually processed and turned into chicken food. and yeah. uh, goes back to uh, to feed other chickens so that's normal apparently the packing the packing for us was a challenge because because of sizing so obviously you cannot predict the size of a chicken down to the centimeter right so you just yeah. have like overall guides but then again there's a lot of money to be made in package optimization packing and the packing side. So that was quite a bit of algorithm work. So to come up with the 30, they had about 35 SKUs that come yeah. at the end of the supply chain. So to come up with those 35 SKUs, I think there's about 400 variations of packing possible just to optimize on future shipping costs for those SKUs. And so, okay, so help me understand a bit more there. So why is packaging so challenging just because the you are not sure of the chicken size and what packaging they are going to need for them so can you not do let's say the bigger packaging just you know big enough so that it can accommodate pretty much everything to simplify the process you can try but the thing is that the chickens before butchering yeah they sometimes differ by up to one kilogram in size and that's 
that's that's part of many uh those are uh there can be many causes and most of them are in the on the production side on the early uh, early side of production so basically when you can imagine one chicken which is obviously pretty small and then you think of a full box right which is pretty big yeah, yeah. a 1 kilogram difference that's about a 20% variation in size 20% variation in size times almost a million chicken a year that's a lot of difference when it comes to what you have to package the 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 first set of packaging which is the one um the one that's that's uh the plastic packaging right the plastic wrapping on yeah. the chicken part itself that's an easy one but then when you move up to higher sizes in bigger boxes that's where you start feeling the cost of shipping because shipping has to be refrigerated so you basically have to optimize as much as possible per truck of shipping in order to actually make money on that shipping because you risk sending you risk sending entire uh, boxes just like 70 80% full so that's where that's where all the variations appeared um, in the shipping okay amazing so in your experience when you were looking at these processes and i i think we can both agree on this that you know let's say if they are trying to implement any of the off the shelf erp system yeah. most likely they are not going to work because it's it has very no. specific industry functionality so in your experience what are some of these specific pieces that you have seen that are going to be extremely difficult to implement in the off the shelf erp so what was very interesting to me is what what you would call kitting basically the equivalent of kitting where you take yeah. where you take a few parts put them together and get a skew yeah, yeah. but yeah. this is kind of a weird kitting because kitting starts at the egg level <laughs> so the first part okay. of the kit is the egg and then the egg grows and this is where one part of the kit turns into multiple parts of the kit which in turn turn to a skew so this is highly specific to this industry and i i can probably uh, any sort of any sort of not not only the poultry industry but like the same for most other uh, production food production companies it was very hard to predict and to draw a simple process when it comes to what goes into a skew it's yeah. easy to say we got a million chicken therefore this this is how much it cost this is how much raw material they ate and this is the output right that's yeah. easy that's not that's not a big deal right but it's important to track every single part of the chicken and every single part of the growth cycle in order to figure out what you can optimize because if you only know input and output you're not going to know what you should be optimizing exactly see so we did kind of a reverse kitting kind of a reverse kitting solution uh where uh you had multiple layers so you have uh, just imagine just imagine the growth of a chicken from raw material you had multiple transformations along the cycle and you reach to a final point where the kit is complete and once the kit is complete it can be converted to a skew and that conversion happens in uh, in the right before packing okay interesting scenario there so that's it for today gabriel do you have any last minute closing thoughts yeah so I always find it I always find it weird with companies how in ERP there's an implementation cycle and yeah. once the implementation cycle is done we start using it because basically if you stop the implementation you kind of stop the innovation but nobody has infinite amount of money to continue forever so that's where that's where the no code solutions come in 
just by taking away that cost, you make the CFOs happy because they don't have to pay that much for development, but you make everybody else a lot more efficient because they can actually experiment on the ideas they have. Okay, and my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be, there are going to be many different nuances that you are going to have, especially in the complex industries such as your poultry industry, even though you might think that, you know, you are just a poultry farm and you are just the agriculture industry, but from the supply chain perspective and from the production planning perspective, there are going to be many nuances. So the more you understand them, the more you you realize that these nuances you are going to have in your business, the better or the easier path you might have for your digital transformation journey. On that note, Gabriel, I want to thank you for your time. This has been an insightful episode. Thank you. Thank you so much. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about KPL, head over to neologic.com. It's N-A-O-L-O-G-I-C.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes including the interview with Brett Bowiff, who provides insights into whether moving to the cloud guarantees business transformation. Also, the interview with Richard Holcher, the wizard of PaaS, who describes the challenges associated with buy online, pick up at store model. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.